Well, we're continuing our series and the Holy Spirit's work in the final earthly days of the Lord Jesus' life. And we are now looking at some of his post-resurrection appearances. And so, John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, we know them as James and John, and two other disciples were together. Those disciples aren't named. Uh, some supposition is they may not have been two of the actual 11 uh, apostles. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, I like the British translation, lads, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Now remember, the guy who's writing this is John, who used to be a fisherman. So when he says the net's not torn, he's really impressed. None of the disciples, or Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. <clears throat> As I prepared this message, I couldn't help but think about fishermen and fisherwomen and, and uh, going fishing and the fish stories of the Bible. Anybody ever hear of a fellow named Jonah? Jonah and the whale. I think my favorite fish story in the New Testament is in John 17. And I'm sorry, Matthew 17, and that's where Peter has to pay a temple tax for he and Jesus. And Jesus says, go down and cast your hook in, and you're going to catch a fish, and it has money in its mouth. And go pay your taxes. I go fishing every April 14th. It hasn't worked for me yet, but I'm going to keep trying. And uh, so, uh, but I think that's just a great, great miracle that Jesus did. Not well known, but uh, it's a fishing story in the Bible, but a true one. That's even better. And here the Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus and the disciples encounter each other in what we might call a fishing story. Now, first of all, what I'd like us to see today in our story is the choice. And um, <clears throat> we're going to see it right out of the Bible. Okay. Uh, the choice is that Simon says, Simon Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. And some view this choice as irresponsible. 
Because back in the early beginning of Jesus' ministry, he had called the disciples to him, including Peter. And they had been fishermen, actually catching fish. And Jesus has said to them in Matthew and chapter 4, he said, I want you to come in verse 19 and now become fishers of men. And so they had left the fishing for fish business and gone into the fishing for souls business, if you will. But now Peter says, after all that's happened in the crucified Lord and so on, he says, I'm going back fishing for fish. And some see that as irresponsible. Like, why would you go back to fishing for fish when Jesus has called you to fish for men? Others see it as industrious. Peter said, I'm not just going to sit around and waste my time. Until Jesus appears again, I'm going to go out and do some fishing. Or maybe the fact, hey, we need some money. We've got to provide for some groceries and so on. So you know what? We're going to go out and we're going to do some fishing. Well, either way, what's interesting to me is this, that Jesus shows up. Number one, because Jesus promised that he would. Where he says he will be, he will be. He had already said in Matthew 28, tell my disciples to go into Galilee. And there I, as the resurrected Christ, will meet them. They are on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And there the Lord Jesus meets them. It encourages me that when Jesus promises to meet with us, he will. And he has promised that where two or three are gathered together in the midst, he will meet us. And you know, that blesses me when I walk into a fellowship like this, and I realize that in some sense, the Lord Jesus is here. I also know the Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. And so as I come and with others praise the Lord, or even on my own praise the Lord, I know in a sense the Lord has promised to meet with me. Number two, I like what pulpit commentary said about this. When Jesus appears on the shore, he met them in the work of life. Here they are out fishing. You know, sometimes folks think the only place God is, is at church. And the only place I can connect with God and God can connect with me is at church. Here they are out fishing and Jesus shows up. What a blessing to know that as you and I go to our work, or as you and I go to our school, or as you and I go to our responsibilities, that the Lord Jesus Christ will meet us there and will be with us there. We can pray to him there. We can use his principles there. We can be a witness for him there. His presence can calm and bless us there, even in the midst of a challenging situation. I remember the years that I worked for the men's warehouse and sold men's clothing. It wasn't necessarily a pulpit. It wasn't a church. But there were so many opportunities to witness. And there were so many opportunities when challenges came to live out the principles of Christ in working out relationships. And what a blessing it was at the end of a very good year of sales when I had the privilege of closing the store all by myself and in the men's warehouse in the Monroeville Mall at that time getting down on my face behind the counter where they paid for things and praising and thanking God for his blessings in work. Do you realize the Lord can be with you in your work? not just at church. And then I think of the fact that the Lord Jesus showed up even if what they were doing was a mistake. Maybe they shouldn't have gone fishing for fish. But despite that, the Lord Jesus meets them there. And I don't know about you, but I'm frankly quite thankful that he meets with us and reaches out to us and blesses us and helps us even when we make mistakes. 
Even when we make wrong choices, he reaches out in mercy. I went through a difficult time in my life like many other people have. And some people get so mad at God and say, oh, I don't know why Jesus let me down on this. And I don't know why he failed me on this. I've never felt that way because I feel that even in the midst of my wrong choices, he was there for me. He sent me mercy. He sent me grace. He sent me forgiveness. He sent me blessing. He gave me hope. And even when I felt like I was all alone, I could cry out to the Lord Jesus and believe that he was listening to me. I don't know whether they should have gone fishing or not, but I do know this. The Lord Jesus met them there like he promised he would in Galilee. I know the Lord Jesus met them even in the work of fishing. And I know the Lord Jesus met with them and reached out to them even if what they had done was a mistake. Not only do we see the choice, but we see the catch. They'd been fishing all night long and caught nothing. Sounds like my fishing. I mean, just catching nothing. But you know what? The Bible says the Lord Jesus calls out to them from the shore, Lads, caught anything? Nope, been fishing all night long. He said, throw your net on the other side. And what a catch. Now, there's two perspectives on this. One is that this was a method of fishing. Some say that over in the places like Sea of Galilee, there will be somebody out fishing and somebody standing on the shore. And the person on the shore must have great eyesight because they can kind of spot where a school of fish might be and say, put your net over there. And so some have suggested the Lord Jesus was able to see from the shore in that early morning, perhaps the water was clear and the air was still, and he could see where the fish actually were. So he said, no, no, you're fishing on the wrong side. Put your net over there. While for others, it's a miracle. They hadn't caught anything all night long. But when Jesus had put the net over here, they, the net was full of fish. And so they say it's a miracle. Well, either way, I would say this to you. The end result is, when it happened, they knew it was the Lord. And John says to Peter, he said, man, that's the Lord. Now, how would he know that? Well, if you go back, you find there was another time they had been fishing. And the Bible says that Jesus had helped them catch fish after they hadn't caught anything. And so they realized, boy, this is somebody special. And so it may be reflecting on that past event that uh, John says, man, that's got to be the Lord. Because remember what happened last time. But you know what speaks to me about this? Is the many times that some provision has come, or some protection has come, or some solution has come, or some person has crossed our pathway, and it's proved to be a help and a blessing. And how many times as believers we have said, man, that had to be the Lord. Boy, God was in that thing. I'll tell you, the Lord showed up. Boy, the Lord was there. The Lord helped me out. And we give testimony to the fact that as that circumstance or challenge or opportunity took place, the Lord was in it. I think of my good friend Dave Matusak. Dave came to the Lord as his Savior. And while he'd had some folks talking to him about the Lord, he says, Tim, you know what brought me to the Lord? He said it was a song on the radio, Why Me by Chris Christofferson. And he said, I heard that, and I thought, yeah, why me, God? And he said, I came to the Lord. And I thought, you know, isn't it interesting? Here the Lord just used a little fishing incident to make his point known. I'm here, I'm alive, I'm resurrected, you see me again. And in this way, he let them know he was there. And I thought, isn't it interesting, the circumstances, and the opportunities, the unique ways the Lord speaks of his presence into our lives. 
But along with that, I just take the practical aspect of it. The Lord wanted them to catch fish. I mean, they were out there fishing, right? And, you know, I thought how many times in the Bible God does want to bless us. You know, in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, If you get into my word, your ways will succeed. I want to bless you. I think of the fact that he says that he, in, in, in Matthew chapter 6, he said, in all your ways, he said, I want you to seek my kingdom first and all these other things you need, they're going to be added to you. I think of Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, the plans I have for you, I want you to prosper. And I would just say to you this morning, brothers and sisters, oh, it may not necessarily be dollars and cents or great health or whatever, but in some way God wants to bless your life. And Jesus says, you've been out fishing all night long, you've caught nothing. He said, I want you to catch something. Not only do we see the choice and do we see the catch, but we see the cast. Here, Peter just casts himself out of that boat. Now, the Bible says before he ran up to Jesus, he did put his outer garment around him. And, you know, I thought about the fact if somebody comes and rings on my doorbell and I'm in my PJs, I normally put my robe on before I go to the door. I don't want to scare anybody. And so, uh, you know, I, and so, you know, or sometimes you have company come, so you kind of, you know, you put your coat on or whatever. You, you just kind of dress up. And in a sense, those fishermen were out there. They were stripped down to the bare necessities, if you will, out there working hard. And so when he's going to go greet the Lord out of respect appropriately, he puts on his outer coat and he jumps in the water. It says they're about 100 yards out, so apparently the water is not that deep. He can either swim in it a little bit or perhaps walk clear up to the shore. But I just love the fact that Peter casts himself out. And by the way, that's not the first time Peter's done that. The Bible tells us before the Lord Jesus is out on the water in Matthew in chapter 16, and he's walking on the water, and he says, and they see him and say, is it you, Lord? And he says, it is. And Peter says, well, can I come to you? He says, come. And so it's not the first time Peter jumped out of the boat to go see the Lord. But you know, as I looked at this, I thought, first of all, about personality. There goes Peter again, <laughs> charging. But I began to study the scriptures about Peter. You know, I found it interesting that his personality is type A. In fact, his personality is type A+. Every time the Holy Spirit created a list of apostles in Matthew chapter 10, Mark chapter 3, Luke chapter 6, and Acts chapter 1, did you know that Peter is always listed first? Do you know when the Lord Jesus Christ takes his three chosen disciples with him in three unique situations? First of all, in Luke chapter 8, when he raises Jairus' daughter who's dead, he takes Peter, James, and John. Peter's listed first. At the Mount of Transfiguration, Luke chapter 9, when Jesus takes three disciples up with him, it's Peter, James, and John. Peter's listed first. When you come to John in chapter 19, and the Lord Jesus goes into the garden to pray, and the Bible says he takes three disciples with him into the inner part of the garden, it is Peter first, James, and John. You will only find one time in the entire New Testament where Peter is listed second in any list where there's a listing of those who are leaders for Jesus. And it is in Galatians in chapter 2 when Paul speaks of James who had become the leader of the church of Jerusalem, the Lord's brother, and then Peter. Other than that, Peter is always first. He has that kind of a personality. In fact, isn't it interesting, John chapter 20, when they hear that Jesus is there, the tomb is empty, Peter and John run together. Peter is outrun by John, but John gets to the tomb and he doesn't run in. He looks. Here's Peter like a bull in a china shop. He charges right into the empty tomb. But you know what it reminds me of? The very fact that God makes us with different personalities, doesn't he? And you know one of the great lessons that you and I can learn is that people are different. 
I remember when I went into marriage counseling one time, and I was shocked to learn out, to learn that my spouse may not have the same personality I do. I thought everybody should have my personality. I am so wonderful. I am so blessed. I do everything right. I am so sensitive to others. How can everybody be not just like me? You know, it's a great thing when uh, Doug teaches the staff. He, he puts us through personality tests so we can learn to realize we're not all the same. And so we learn each other's strengths. We learn each other have differences. And we learn that teamwork is the key. When I was a pastor in another setting, I think one of the greatest studies I ever taught to the congregation was on a book called Five Languages of Love. Did you know you can love but express it in a different way than somebody else does? And so you learn how people express it. Here's a personality. It's Peter. All the other guys are in the boat. Peter just charges. I'm going to see the Lord. But along with the personality, I find peace here. You know, it's only been a couple of weeks since Peter denied the Lord. And yet here he's willing to run up to the Lord. And I'm sure there had been shame, and I'm sure there had been regret, and I'm sure there had been sorrow, and I'm sure there had been a spirit of repentance and humiliation. And yet now, just a couple of weeks after denying the Lord and perhaps feeling he'd never be worthy to be in front of the Lord, he's finding himself running up to the Lord. You know why? Because Jesus had made it clear after the resurrection, you tell my disciples and Peter. He has specifically mentioned Peter to meet me. I want to see them. Peter knew, despite his denial of Christ on the night of trial, that Jesus had forgiven him. There are times when we have sinned, we may not feel worthy to take communion. We may not feel worthy to come to church. We may not feel worthy to lift a prayer. We may not feel worthy to sing a praise or worthy to hang out with the people of God. But the Lord Jesus Christ has promised through his word, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there can be a peace. And oh, how blessed it is when we finally feel, yes, we can come again into the presence of the Lord. Not only the personality and the peace, but I see the passion. You know, one thing about Peter, despite all the mistakes he made, and he made a lot of them, the Scripture records, He loved Jesus. I find it when it's Peter, when Jesus sees so many disciples going away due to his strong doctrine, and he says, will you go away too to the twelve? And Peter said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. It is Peter when Jesus begins to describe the crucifixion that awaits him, and Peter said, no, Lord, these things aren't going to happen to you. It's Peter who, when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet in an act of humility, says, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet, not because he's some rebellious hard case. He's just saying, man, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to wash my feet. I love you too much to let that happen. It is Peter who stands in the garden when they come to arrest Jesus and pulls his sword out and cuts off a servant's ear. You know why? Because whatever his weakness is, Peter loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, that's a passion. That's a blessing. I thought of that preacher who had lived a vile life of wickedness and then got saved and God called him to preach. He went and got some Bible education and then he began to pastor a little church and one day he was preaching about the devil. Man, he began to lay the devil out. He began to get so mad at the devil, all of a sudden he started cussing the devil out right in the pulpit. Then when he realized what he was doing, he 
closed his Bible and said, folks, I'm sorry. I'm willing to resign. I shouldn't have talked like that. And he started walking out. And one of the old deacons stood up and said, hold it, preacher. He said, any preacher that hates the devil that much, we want him. You know, despite the mistakes, anybody that loves Jesus that much. Oh, Peter said, man, if he's there, I'll jump out of the boat. I'll get in the water. I'm going to the Lord. Passion. And then I see the count. The Bible tells us here there were 153 fish. Doug has taught us consistently there is a significance to the numbers of the Bible. And as you study this number 153, you don't necessarily find it highlighted other places in the Bible. But I found it interesting, some of the explanations. Did you know there's 153 explanations as to why it's the number 153? But I found the one by St. Augustine, the great church leader of years ago. He said that it was a triangular of 17. Now, if you, what he meant was if you add 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4, and you go all the way up to 17, that total equals 153. And he said the 10 then in 17, or that 1 that represents the 10 of the 17, he said that stands for the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament. And the 7 stands for the sevenfold spirit of grace in the New Testament. So he said it's Jesus in the fish reaching out to believers of all ages. Some have said there were 153 species of fish, different types of fish in the Sea of Tiberias. And others have said that that 153 species represent the fact that there were 153 nations in the world at that time. And so it's like Jesus reaching out to everybody of every nation. And then finally, Buell Liming, a dear friend of my dad's who has been a Bible student for years, he said he studied the New Testament. He found that Jesus, over the life of his earthly ministry, met with 153 individuals personally. I think either way you want to cut it. I think what it does boil down to, the 153 in a sense says that Jesus was still concerned about fishing for men. Fishing for souls. It's not ultimately fishing for the fish, but he wanted Peter and all the others to ultimately turn back to reaching out to people, to reaching out for souls, sharing his message and his love and his witness. And then finally, I see in our text today the cook. Jesus says, hey, come and have breakfast. Now, I love the practical nature of that. They have been out fishing all night long. When was the last time you stayed up all night long? Normally you're tired, right? The Lord Jesus did not say, hey, I know you've been up all night long. Come, we're going to pray for an hour. <sighs> Come, I want you to fast and pray. No, the Lord Jesus said, you've been out there all night long working. Come and eat some breakfast. The practical aspect. And sometimes believers get this ridiculous concept that we're going to float around spiritually. Now we put on our pants and our dresses and everything just like everybody else does. There's a practical side to being a believer. We live on earth. Jesus said, we're not of the world, but we're in the world. 
There's a practical side. I never forget attending a preacher's conference in California. Dr. John Balliol of Western Baptist College got up and he said to a bunch of preachers who were burned out, he said, the best thing you guys can do for your ministry is not read the Bible through again, not fast and pray for a week. He said, the best thing some of you can do is take a nap. Yeah. Jesus said, you guys are hungry. Come and have some breakfast. I mean, how spiritual does it get? Number two, there's the personal side. Do you see who the cook here is? Now, we would think the guys would run up and say, Jesus, we'll fix you breakfast. But Jesus has fixed them breakfast. The personal side. You know, there's an old hymn that says, Brethren, we've met to worship. And the last verse of that hymn talks about Christ will gird himself and serve us with sweet manna all around. And I got to thinking about that song and, and this text, and I thought, you know, is that just sentiment? You know, Christ is going to gird himself and serve us. Till I read a parable where Jesus talked about a master who had servants who did well. And when they came in, the master was so blessed by their faithful service. You know what he said? He said, you guys recline at the table, and I'm going to put an apron on, and I'm going to serve you. Brothers and sisters, he's seeming to say that as we serve him, he is willing to serve us. Oh, the personal side of our Savior. He said, I want to bless you with breakfast. And then I see the precious side to it. They had breakfast with Jesus. They started their day with the Lord. How precious could that be? I met God in the morning when my day was at its best. His presence came like sunrise, like a glory in my breast. All day long the presence lingered. All day long he stayed with me. We sailed in perfect calmness over a very troubled sea. Other ships were blown and battered. Other ships were sore distressed. But the winds that seemed to drive them were to us a peace and rest. I then thought of other mornings with a sense of keen remorse. I'd often left the moorings, or loose the moorings, and had sailed without the presence on my course. So I think I know the secret. To having his presence all the day. You must meet him in the morning if you want his presence with you to stay. Now, there's no biblical requirement that you have to meet the Lord first thing in the morning. But I would say this. I can't think of anything much better than when your day gets started to spend a little time with Jesus. Oh, for everybody it's different. I love visiting in the homes of our elderly saints. And so many of them have their daily breads. They spend some time with the Lord in that daily bread. I'll be honest, for, for, for me it's not reading a lot of Bible more. For me it's a song. Right now I'm on a little song called I Will Sing of the Mercies of the Lord Forever. And just so often I get up and yes, with cracked voice <laughs> and so quiet that my wife can't hear me. But I just begin to lift a praise. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing. I will sing. And it's my way of kind of starting my day with Jesus.
He said, come and have breakfast or come and dine. Did you know this is the number one day of the year for restaurants? Mother's Day. What a great day to spend with Jesus. When I was a teenager, we went to Mexico on a mission trip. And our assistant pastor, Chuck Crabtree, led us. And he took this chapter, and I, I love to find songs, Christian songs that are based on the Bible. And in the King James Version, Jesus doesn't say, come and have breakfast. He says, come and dine. And one old gospel songwriter wrote it this way. Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. He invites his chosen people, come and dine. With his manna he doth feed and supplies our every need. Oh, tis sweet to sup with Jesus all the time. Come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude turned the water into wine. To the hungry calleth now, come and dine. I don't know if they should have gone fishing or not, but the Lord Jesus met them there. He didn't want them to be empty-handed, so he blessed them and revealed himself to them. Peter couldn't wait to see the Lord. Oh, the passion. 153, I know one thing. The old Bible truth is still true. He calls us to be fishers of men. And it's not a bad thing to have breakfast with Jesus. Amen.